0: Good morning. It's nice to be with you this morning. Cold, blustery day in Manitoba. Um, I didn't pack a jacket with me when I left BC. I said it's July. Who needs a jacket? So thank you to Brother Jeff for giving me a nice warm coat to wear today. Maybe I'll get warmed up and take it off later. Um, This morning, um, we have a message for you here in particular. Um, when I left B.C., I knew I was coming here and I had an exercise to come, but I wasn't exactly sure what the Lord would have us share with you. I knew God was here and working with you, and I was excited to come and see and be a part and maybe learn from you and just enjoy the spark of God's love among us. Um, so as a preacher, sometimes uh, it's easy to come up with something, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes I'm able to share a message that I've shared before in other places, but this one's for you. This one is for you. God wants me to share this message with you. And uh, I was praying along the way as I drove over the many miles, and in Alberta, the thought started to come to my mind of what he wants me to share. So through the miles across Alberta and Saskatchewan, the message developed, and uh, that's what you're going to hear today. So this is for Assiniboine Bible Church, um, the message. Uh, Just before we get started, though, tonight, we hope you'll all come. We hope you'll come, and uh, my wife would be delighted for you to uh, share her heart and her culture a little bit by tasting the food. And... uh, Then we'll feast together on the love of Christ and uh, enjoy some time in the word. Today I'm gonna start by asking a question. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? All of us are living here for some reason and we have some, some reason to get up every day and go to work or go to school or whatever it is we do. And it's important for us, particularly as believers, as Christians, to ask the question, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? I want to look at four different characters in the Bible that had a higher purpose. And I want us to think about, as believers, our higher purpose. Not just a purpose, but a higher purpose. So first of all, I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. we're gonna think about Abraham Hebrews chapter 11 and verse eight by faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance obeyed and he went out not knowing where whither he went by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in, a taber- in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The Hebrew writer lets us in some insight into the heart of Abraham. We know that Abraham was called out of Chaldees, and he was promised a land for him and his descendants. Um, But the Hebrew writer tells us something about Abraham, what he was seeking in his heart. And it says that he was seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. I want to suggest to you that it wasn't just he was looking for a place to settle down, a house, a home to live in. He wanted something more, something deeper. He wanted God. He wanted to dwell where God dwelt. That was his goal. Many of us in life, what, what is the main thing in our life? What, what are we really searching for? When we think about our house, our home, that's one of the main goals people have in life, isn't it? You know, we, we think when we're young, okay, I'm going to grow up and get a career, and I'm going to get a house. I'm going to get a home. Maybe we start off renting a small apartment somewhere, and then a little later we buy maybe our first little house and then maybe a little later we think, okay, I need a bigger house. So much of our life seems to center around this main goal of having a home, a house. But if that's our goal in life, it doesn't reach to a higher purpose. It's a purpose that suits us here and now for what our needs are today. But Abraham sought for something much deeper, much greater. He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He wanted to know God. He wanted to dwell with God. That was his purpose. And you know, Abraham, in his lifetime, never owned a lot. Didn't have a big house. He lived in tents. He was a sojourner, he, he, he walked through life always expecting something greater was to come um, beyond the grave. In fact, he only owned one little parcel of land that he bought to bury his dead. So he, he never got his full inheritance in that sense. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. So, what is your purpose? What, what are you searching for? When you get up in the morning and you go to work or wherever you do, what's your purpose? What's your higher purpose? Well, Abraham's purpose was centered in God. And if we are to live the life that God intends, whatever our purpose is will be centered in him. That should be our higher purpose. Now we think about Abraham, the scripture speaks a lot of him, makes a lot out of this character, Abraham. He's the father of nations. He's the one whose descendants are the people of Israel through whom we get the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. So he's a very significant um, person in the Bible. And what does the Bible draw our attention to? It's to Abraham's faith, Abraham's faith. When he was called to take his son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice at Mount Moriah, he obeyed the Lord. He didn't question the Lord, didn't hesitate. He just went and did what the Lord told him to do. And up on that mountain, as they climbed the hills, he told the servants, you stay here, while I and the lad go yonder and worship. So it was just Abraham and Isaac on that mountain. And he lifted the knife over the heart of his son to take the Isaac's life, because for Abraham, God was everything. And nothing was too precious to withhold from God. So he was willing to give up his son on that mountain. And of course, we know the story that Abraham, um, the angel of the Lord said to him, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad. Now I know that you fear God. Now think of that. God says, now I know. God knows everything. There's nothing hidden from God. Why does God say, now I know? It's not that it was a surprise to God. But he wanted to take Abraham to the point at which it would be a certainty. This was his devotion. This was his commitment to God. God meant everything to Abraham. He was willing to give his only son. But it wasn't just the two of them on the mountain, was it? God was there. God was there. He met with God on that mountain. And that was a very life-changing experience for him. And through that, Abraham was blessed with countless descendants. And he said, I will bless you with blessing. And um, There's a great moment in his life. He sought God and he met God. But I want to make this point about Abraham on the mountain, and that's that there was a loss In our search for God, in our search for God's glory, we have to recognize that it comes with a cost. There's a loss that we should experience. Jesus said, if you follow me, you're to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If we are to seek God in a higher purpose in our life, we need to recognize that's a sacrifice. The call of a Christian is the call of denial of self, is to suffer loss that we might know him. The path to glory is one of suffering and loss, and that seems like a paradox to us, but the Lord Jesus came into this world as a man without reputation, a man who was unrecognized by his own people, who suffered and was ridiculed and cast out as a common criminal, he the Lord of glory, he the eternal one, suffered loss on the path to glory. And if we're followers of Jesus, that's what's expected of us too, that we will know what it is to give up something. Our higher purpose to dwell with God, as Abraham wanted to, comes at a cost. It comes at the price of denying ourselves, giving up things. As Christians, we have to come to a point in our life where we realize, as a Christian, I'm gonna suffer things. People are gonna think differently of me. I'm not going to have the same ambitions as other people because my goal isn't what I get in this world. My goal isn't what I achieve in this world or my fame or uh, anything like that. It's ultimately to be with him in glory. But in order to follow him there, I have to follow the path of loss and suffering and Abraham learned that on the mountain. So this is a higher purpose that Abraham had. So I draw our attention to Abraham because he was a man who looked beyond the grave. He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. What, what is it that you are seeking? Um, you know, in, in Ghana, all the boys love football or what you call soccer here, <laughs> football. And I'm not much of a football person. I don't know anything about it. But I see all the excitement of the kids and they follow the World Cup. And I think it was last year they had the World Cup and Argentina won the World Cup. And Lionel Messi, maybe some of the boys know that name. He's some great footballer in Argentina. But when you think about that, it was just a great moment in his life. He probably worked all his life to achieve this goal, to you know, be the best player in the world, to win the World Cup, to hold the trophy up. But when you look at that and you think, what does that all mean? A hundred years from now, who will remember that? What significance will it play? Sometimes in life, we, we put so much energy into what is here and now, what we get today. But there's a higher purpose to life, isn't there? The higher purpose is to know God, to seek Him with all our heart. He's the ultimate purpose of our lives, that higher purpose. Abraham understood that. And that was what he sought. It wasn't just that he wanted a place to dwell. He wanted to dwell with God in God's city, to fellowship with God. Now let's change gears a bit and let's talk about um, David. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 22. Second Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 19. I hope you can hear me okay. I have a gentle voice, so you're all right? Good. Second Chronicles chapter 22, this is David speaking. He says, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built in, to the name of the Lord. Now David had a higher purpose. David had a higher purpose. David, we know, was a shepherd boy who knew God even in his young years. And um, as a young man, he had enough courage and faith in God to face the giant Goliath. Now why did he do that? It was because of his passion for the Lord's honor. He wanted to honor the name of the Lord. And so he was willing to fight that battle and he won that victory. For the children of Israel. David is a unique character in the Bible. He's someone uh, in the Bible who's spoken of more than any other character except Jesus. David's name is mentioned over and over again in the Bible. And I think because he portrays a type of the Lord Jesus, an image of the Lord Jesus, he is the righteous king. Now we all know that David had his faults and he sinned, but the tenor of his life as we see in this verse, is that he sought the honor of God's name. He wanted to build him a house. He wanted to glorify him. He was enjoying his palace as a king. And he said, here I am living in this beautiful palace. We need to build a house of glory for our God. He needs, he's living in a tent. And of course, the word came back from Nathan, from the Lord and said, I never asked anybody to build me a house. In fact, he had asked Moses and the children of Israel to build a tent. The tabernacle, we know that from Exodus, the tabernacle. There was a lot of detail in that. But when you looked at the tabernacle from the outside, it wasn't much impressive about it. It wasn't anything spectacular to look at when you look from the outside. And that tabernacle taught us certain things that there's a separation between man and God because of man's sin and God's holiness. If you went inside the tabernacle, and you and I couldn't go in there, only the priest could go in there, and only one man once a year would go into the Holy of Holies with blood to offer as atonement for the sins of the people. But inside was glorious. It was all gold, light, bread, shed blood, all things that spoke of the Son of God and His glory. The tabernacle is a picture of the Lord Jesus. Outwardly, there's no beauty that we should desire Him, but inwardly, He's altogether lovely. He's perfect, sinless. He's the one that bore away our sins. He reveals to us the character, the love, the compassion of our God. He loves us as individuals, that he wants us to dwell with him forever. You remember what Jesus said? I'm going to prepare you a place. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What is the higher purpose? To be with Jesus. Not just to have a nice house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That sounds nice. Why do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? What's there? A nice mansion for you? Maybe you'll play golf in heaven, eat cheesecake. That's what I would like. But ultimately, heaven is about Jesus. It's about being with him, the wonderful person of Jesus. And as we get to know him, we find out that he's the most wonderful person we could be with. And that's our higher purpose. David wanted to honor the Lord. David wanted a house of honor for the Lord. And the Lord said, David, it's not you that's going to do this. I've never asked for a house. But in David's heart, God understood something, that that man wanted to honor him. And when we want to honor his name, he turns it back and honors us. I think it's in Samuel where it says, he who honors me, him will I honor. And that's what happened. And he said, I'm going to build you a house. (laughs) You say to God, I'm going to build you a house. And he said, no, I'm going to build you a house. And your son's going to sit on the throne forever. And David was amazed, like, who am I that I should receive this? When it comes to honoring the Lord, one of the things that we can learn from this is that God desires that his name be honored. And When we have a vision to build for God, a vision to uh, bring him glory, then he will honor that. Here you're trying to build something for God, and God will honor that if you seek him and his glory in it, not man's glory, but his glory, then he will honor that. And Jesus said, I will build my church. Our building project is not a structure. It's building the church, building the people, helping them come to Jesus and follow him. And that's the higher purpose. So when we're involved in a higher purpose, we see that God's heart is toward people and he wants to draw people unto himself, assemble them together that they might know and worship. When we read about David, David um, has a focus not only on building a house for the Lord, but that men might come and worship the Lord. He puts so much in order for the instruction about worshiping the Lord, the singers and all the things involved in worship. When we think of church and its purpose, what is our purpose in coming together as believers? It's to gather unto him to worship him to worship Him. That's what our higher purpose is, is to know Him and recognize that in His presence He deserves all the glory, all the adoration, all of the honor that we can give to Him. So our higher purpose, we learn from David, is to seek the Lord's honor, to build a house for Him, to seek His glory, and God honored that. But even that was temporary. That was temporary. Uh, the tabernacle was temporary, and the, the temple was temporary. Um, the Lord Jesus came into this world to tabernacle among us, to be with us not on a permanent basis. He came to redeem us. He came here to walk with men and to reveal to us God's heart toward us that we are lost And he came to seek and to save that which is lost, to draw together a people unto himself that we might be with him forever. He's not looking for a temple on earth to dwell in. He's looking for a people in order to gather together, to dwell with and in forever. So that's God's purpose for us. Let's change gears again, and we will look at another verse in the Old Testament. Ezra chapter 7 Ezra chapter seven and verse 10. Ezra seven and verse 10. We've thought about Abraham, we've thought about David, and how it relates to our higher purpose. And the interesting thing about that is how it comes together around the dwelling place of God, where God dwells. Now we'll think about a little different idea when it comes to our higher purpose. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, For Ezra had firmly resolved to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, I'm just pulling that right out of the context. Ezra was a scribe. He was somebody who wrote uh, parts of the Old Testament. He wrote the book by his name, and he wrote First and Second Chronicles, which takes us from... Uh, the kingly line all the way back to Adam all the way through to the fall of Babylon or the fall of uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. And he recounts uh, a large portion of Israel's history, particularly the kingly line is what he's following because of the promised Messiah, the king of Israel. Now, Ezra, it says here that he... Firmly resolved or he prepared his heart Some translations say he prepared his heart and I wonder what does that mean to prepare your heart? How do you prepare your heart? Well, we can see that this man looked inwardly and asked himself what's really valuable what's important to me? What's the most important thing in my life? And he decided the Word of God the Word of God was so important to him And why was it important? Let's think about this for a minute. People stand up and preach here all the time, don't they? Stand up and preach the Word of God and we listen to them. Why do we value the Word of God? What's important about it? Why does the preacher spend his time there? Is it so that we can share messages and show how smart we are or how spiritual we are? Well, there's a danger in that, I suppose the real reason to study the word of God, listen to what he says. He resolved to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. He wanted to know the mind of God so that he could do what God wanted him to do. To pursue the Bible is another pursuit of God. You know, I do a lot of preaching now at this stage in my life, but when I was a new believer, I came to Christ through reading the Bible. I was telling some of you last night how my boss gave me a Bible and I wanted to read and consume it. Well, those were the best years of my Christian life because I had no responsibility to be able to share that word of God with others. At least I didn't sense that. I mean, I did. I went around telling people about it. But my joy was just immersed in reading because I wanted to know God. I just wanted to learn. What does this book have to teach about God? That's a great pursuit, just to know what God says And then to learn it with the idea that this is what God wants me to hear and do. As James says, we're not to be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. So Ezra got that right. And it's possible to pursue the Bible with the wrong motive. Just for the sake of knowledge. But knowledge puffs up. And you can see this sometime with preachers. They're full of themselves rather than Christ. The Word of God is intended to change us, mold us, and help us to be followers of Jesus. So the greatest reason to pursue the Bible is for myself, my own transformation to what God wants me to be. But it should be a love and an interest in God say, wow, is there any greater subject than God himself? Is there anything more interesting than the God who created everything, who redeemed us? That's the greatest thing. Ezra seemed to get a hold of that, and I as a young person. Somehow, God lit a spark in me of interest in the Bible. And it might have been Mr. Ryrie, because I told you it was a Ryrie study Bible that I was given. And Mr. Ryrie, um, at the beginning of the Bible, he has this statement. The Bible is the greatest of all books. To study it is the noblest of all pursuits. To understand it is the highest of all goals. I really spoke to my heart. And I realized, you know, if I read this book, it's a good thing. I'm going in a good direction. If there's anything, I could pursue getting a really good golf score. <laughs> or I could, you know, pursue maybe being the best athlete at something, or whatever it might be, the best musician. We all have these goals, these pursuits that we go after. But if there's one thing that we should, really seek after it's to be an expert in this book, to know this book. I'm not a scholar, I don't understand Greek, but I love Jesus and I want to follow him and the way to do that is through the book. And I know that everything in here is good for me, it's good for me, so why not eat it up? Enjoy it fully, make this your higher purpose. If you know this book, God will do great things, not only in you, but through you. You know, I look at myself and say, well, who am I? I'm nobody. But yet God has picked me up, little old me, and sent me off to Africa to preach the gospel and help people there, and by His grace, maybe some people have been helped. We hope and pray that's the case. But if our life is to have meaning, is to have value, it's because we know God, and because we love him enough to equip ourselves so that we are walking Bibles. And people bump into us, they bump into a walking Bible. They bump into Jesus. That would be the better way to put it, isn't it? Not just somebody filled with knowledge, but a person who looks and acts like the Lord Jesus. But that happens when we study this book. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says, We all, with open face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit, the Lord to Spirit. That means as we look at the word of God, God is doing an inward work of transforming us into the image of Christ so that we become more and more like him. So Ezra would teach me that my noble pursuit, my higher pursuit, uh, purpose is the word of God. This is where I find God. This is where I find Jesus. The whole book is about Jesus. As I study it more and more, I realize that God keeps, through the Holy Spirit, pointing me to the person of Jesus, helping me to see him, know him, love him, worship him, and serve him. And so that is the the purpose that Ezra found in his own life. So I would commend that to your thoughts. We seek a higher purpose through seeking the word of God. There's no better pursuit. Now I have one more character that I want you to consider this morning. It's a beautiful story. I think we all know it and love it. It's found in Ruth. Ruth chapter one. Ruth chapter one. We mustn't talk solely about men. Let's talk about women too because women love the Lord. Surely they do. Um, I'm going to read two verses, you probably already suspected what they are, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you, or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, very precious to my wife and I for for different reasons. Um, Ruth, she said this most marvelous thing to Naomi. Naomi and her husband left Israel with their two boys. They went down to Moab because of a famine. There was no food in the land, so they decided to go out to Moab. Moab was an idolatrous people. They were really enemies of Israel. They didn't give them safe passage when they were coming out of Egypt, back to the Promised Land. And so Moses had spoken against the people of Moab and said they were not to be allowed into the congregation of Israel for 10 generations. Now, Ruth's story happens before 10 generations pass. She's a Moabitess. She's a Moabite girl. And she marries one of the sons of Naomi. And as we know, the story goes, Naomi lost her husband. She lost her two sons. What a blow. What a devastation. How her life must have felt so empty because she lost all her support. She lost her children. She comes back to Israel because she'd heard there was some food in Israel and who knows what she thought of her future like what's my future now what hope do I have now and when she got back to her hometown of Bethlehem the people said "Wow, is that Naomi they remembered her from 10 years before that Naomi and she says don't call me Naomi call me Mara Mara means bitter bitter she had been struck down. But the interesting thing about Naomi is when we read her, she r- talks to her people, but every sentence that she says, she says, The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. She can't stop talking about the Lord. In all of her sorrow, in all of her anguish, all of her loss, the Lord was on her lips. You know, when Ruth looked at Naomi, what made Ruth cling to her mother-in-law? She was a Moabitess. That's where her family, that's where her heritage, that's where her religion was from. But she'd obviously lived a few years with Naomi, and she saw what Naomi went through. She herself was a widow. She lost her own husband. She could have chosen a path that was better for her. And Naomi tried to convince her And she did convince the other daughter, Orpah, she said, go back to your people. You'll find a husband. Things will go well for you. What can I give you? I can't give you anything. I can't give you husbands. So Ruth says this. She says, no, I'll never leave you. And she says, your God will be my God. Now, if Ruth were a bit of a skeptic, she might say, you know what, Naomi? (laughs) Your God is not good. Look what he's done to you. He's taken everything from you. But something about Naomi's faith, even in all that her loss and sorrow, she could still say, the Lord, the Lord. Her faith was in God. Even in all the struggle and trial she faced, she never let go of God. And somehow Ruth saw that and said, you know what? I want to know that God. I want to follow that God. Wouldn't you love to have a testimony like Naomi's? That no matter what hits you in life, the one thing that people see about you is your faith in God. You will never let go. You will follow him faithfully, no matter what. So she says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God will be my God. Naomi won Ruth to her God, and she became a follower of the God of the Hebrews. And the amazing story of God's grace is that she should not have been accepted into the Jewish community. She should have been rejected. But God works this wonderful work of grace to show us what God is like when we should not be accepted because we're outsiders. We're sinners. We don't belong in heaven. We don't belong in His dwelling place. Yet He will receive us by grace. You see, she put her heart in the right direction. She sought God. She said, I want this God. And when you say, I want God, He'll never reject you. He'll never reject you. His heart's too big. His heart is too big toward all of us. He will always receive you, no matter where you've been, what you've done, If you come to him humbly and say, Oh, I want you to be my God, he will receive you. He will accept you just as he accepted Ruth. And so the story goes on and she goes out into the fields of Boaz. And we know how the Lord orchestrated everything so that Boaz would become her husband. And through Boaz and Ruth come the Messiah, King David and the Messianic Lion. Ruth becomes a picture of the grace of God to the Gentiles, to all nations, to all people, anybody who will take refuge under his wing. And that's what she did. She took refuge under the wing of Boaz, but more so under the wing of the Lord. And the Lord took her in. I wonder if there's anybody here who's never come to him and sought him. He should be the pursuit of your life. He is the one you need He's the one who loves you. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. Bleeding and dying there. He said, I love you. I want you to be mine. I want you to dwell with me forever. It's a love story, the Bible. It's a pursuit of him. He loves us. If you don't love him, he loves you. And he will always love you. And he will always invite you to come and dwell with him. The amazing thing about the Bible is not our pursuit of Him, it's His pursuit of us. He came here to seek us, to love us, to bring us home. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He wants us to be with Him. The marvel is in Ephesians, we're told that we are the habitation of God through the Spirit. God doesn't want to bring us to some place where he's on the other side of town and we can go visit him on Sunday afternoon He wants to dwell inside of us and live with us and in us forever That's a marvel, isn't it? That God so connected to us wants to live inside of us and be with us forever What is your desire? Do you desire God? Is that your higher purpose? I hope it is Let's learn from these examples today that Abraham he sought a city where God dwelt he wanted to be with God beyond this life he saw something greater to be with God David wanted to honor and worship the Lord he wanted the name of the Lord to be exalted is that what we desire to worship him to honor him to build something for him and then Ezra sought God in his word. He gave him his intellect. He gave him his life. He sacrificed himself so that he could not just know God, but obey God. He wanted to hear the voice of God to conform his life to whatever God had for him. And then, after he conformed, he was able to teach and help others. And lastly, Ruth. Ruth teaches us, I think Naomi teaches us, (laughs) through her faith. Do we want to have that kind of life that, we attract other people to Jesus. People look at us and say, Wow, I want what they have. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people look at us and see Jesus? I hope that's your desire. I hope that's your purpose. I hope in some measure it's my purpose that when people see me, they might see something of Him and say, Yeah, that's what I want. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus into the world and rescuing our lives from brokenness, from waywardness, from sinfulness. Father, we thank you that you have a purpose, a higher purpose for our lives. Teach us, Father, what our purpose is how to seek you with all our heart, and to aim ourselves toward that higher purpose. Lord, take this message by the Holy Spirit and apply it just where it needs to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.